friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back, or enjoy your drive, and let's get authentic, real, and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today, where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In episode 50, Sasha interviews Dr. Linnell Schneeberg. They talk about sleep loss, getting kids to sleep, and the importance of sleep recovery. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Hello, Brave Enough community. I have an amazing guest on today. It's going to be super fun, but before we get into that, okay. This episode is going to have aired after the Brave Enough conference. And let me tell you, I am like full steam ahead right now. I am prepping. We have just a few weeks to go before the conference is here. And I have so many amazing surprises for you. And I keep getting a lot of ask, is the conference sold out? Yes, it is. But I have another amazing opportunity, the Brave Enough retreat. It is in January of 2020. And I'm going deep with about 20 women internally to get to the root of our authentic self. And we're going to do this by having an amazing guest who's coming with me and she is a health coach. And we're going to get real about healthy inside and outside. What do we need to change inside? And what do we need to change on our outside? And we're going to get real. And let me tell you, we're also going to have fun. We're going to relax. We're going to hang by a pool. We're going to be in a beautiful estate beachside. We're going to have yoga. We're going to have fun and fruity drinks. We're going to have laughter. We're going to have just amazing conversation. And you don't have to know anybody to come. You already know me if you're listening. I promise you this is going to be the reset that you need. And I just want to invite you. When was the last time you did something just for yourself? Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're just feeling meh at work. You don't know why, but you're not living the way that you feel like you are really supposed to live. Maybe it's professionally. Maybe it's personally, internally. Just reach out to me. Send me a message. I love getting emails from y'all. Sasha at becomebraveenough.com and I will tell you more about the retreat. But let's get into today's show. Welcome to the Brave Enough Show. It's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkud, and I am really excited to have Dr. Linnell Schneeberg on the show today. And she is a pediatric sleep psychologist and assistant professor at the Yale School of Medicine. And then she also has this other job where she's the director of behavioral sleep program at the Connecticut Children's Medical Center. And she's recently written a book about children's sleeping habits and how to get kids to bed. And I don't know a person on the planet who probably hasn't struggled with at least one child and putting them to bed. Um, And more importantly, you know, on the show, I constantly talk about self-care and how important it is. And I think sleep is something that we in medicine and we as career women, whether you're outside of medicine, often think of it as optional. So I'm super excited that she's on the show today and she's going to share her wisdom and teach us some things. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am a pediatric sleep psychologist which is not the most common job, but it is a job that I absolutely love. And so I spend my days basically doing just what you talked about, helping people get great sleep. Um, Part of the time I work at Yale with adults who have insomnia and I treat them using this wonderful treatment called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is medication free and has very lasting results. The other half of the week, I work at Connecticut Children's, working out behavioral sleep plans with families to help kids learn how to fall asleep independently at bedtime and sleep very well through the night. 
Awesome. Well, okay. Let me just be, well, first of all, I have to disclose that, you know, today I'm post call, which means that I've been, I'm operating on very little sleep. I think it's hysterical because that I'm actually having a sleep specialist on the show today <laughs> while I myself am tired. However, I will also, I want to bring this up because I think that, um, I, I myself, I've raised four children and, um, they all sleep in their same, in their beds, in their rooms, and they have pretty decent sleep habits. And my husband and I always say that like the one thing that we feel that we did right when they were little was teaching them how to sleep. And it was not easy, but it's also very controversial. Like I've had a lot of friends and specifically when my children were younger would, you know, complain to me or like share these terrible sleep stories and how exhausted they were and how one child not sleeping translates into like full on family stress. And I would try to share my tips and pearls and people get so defensive. Like they get so upset and I'm like, okay. I, so it's funny that we're actually talking about this because I think it's a hot topic. I think people can, you know, we can, you can feel shame if your kid doesn't sleep well, but on the same hand, I think, um, people get offended if you try to like share what worked for you. And so I want to be really, I want to disclose, but, and say that I, never let my kids sleep with me. I know a lot of people do, but that was not my approach. Um, and mostly because I had a job that like I had to get sleep. And at the beginning of my first child, I, I, he was a terrible sleeper. And I actually did this method because I was like at the end of my rope and sobbing every night. I dreaded going to bed because I knew I wasn't going to get sleep. And I did a method um, that worked for me. And then I did that method with all my other kids. And literally my kids are like, it was almost like they were too good of sleepers. Like they have problems sleeping with anyone. <laughs> like when we go to hotels and I'm like, you guys have to sleep together. They're like, what? And they have to have like total darkness and they, they like love their own spaces, but it was definitely something no one told me I was going to have to actually learn how to do as a parent. I think you are completely right about all of those things. I think that um, some people call this sleep training, right? And sleep training is really controversial. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It, it consumes yes. many, many of the internet websites yes. right, that are parenting websites. But I, I want to tell you that your your instinct was fantastic. And I'll tell you why. We all have these things called sleep crutches, There's a fancier name, of course, in the behavioral world. They're called sleep onset associations. And that's just what it sounds like. In order for sleep onset to happen, what has to be associated with that, right? So good sleep onset associations for kids are ones that are all still there when they wake up at night. Mm -hmm. So a teddy bear, a special blanket, anything like that. But if your child can only fall asleep if you're nearby or if you're singing, or if you're reading a book, or if you're rubbing their back, and then, you know, they do fall asleep, of course, but then you leave. And it's sort of like (laughs) you take their pillow with you, you know, you take their sleep crutch with you. And so many, many parents will say to me, you know what, Dr. Schneeberg, I only need your help with night wakings (laughs) because my child, (laughs) 
falls asleep so easily. And I say, well, of course they do. They have all their little sleep crutches, right, right. at bedtime. And then you promptly remove them all. And so, of course, your son's going to come running down the hall or your daughter's going to cry for you in the night because you really haven't taught her how to do it on her own. Right. And, and that, to me, is one of the most wonderful gifts of parenting that you could ever give your child. Yes. Because your child will, A, get all the good sleep that they require because it's under their own control, right? They can do it. Yes. And secondly, as they grow up and you and I um, both have, you know, I have three children and you have four, um, mine are older now. And there are all these things that children get to do that are amazing, but they require that a child is able to fall asleep independently. And I'm thinking of things like summer camp, or mm-hmm. sleeping at grandma's when mom and dad get a little mm-hmm. trip away yep. or going to the Washington DC trip, which often happens around the eighth grade. And you want your child to be the child that can make those trips and do those things. And if they're independent sleepers, they can. Yeah. And I love that. See, I didn't, it, what, so what I learned when I was struggling with my first child and I finally made this like massive change. Um, I think he was about four months old when we were like, oh my gosh, we can't. Cause I had gone back to work like right away. Oh, um, it's and, exhausting. And I just, I tried and tried. And then there was this guilt, you know, like everyone was like, well, just let him sleep with you. And, and it was just this, it was just, oh my gosh. So what I learned, which was so eye opening, and I did this with all of my kids. I didn't realize that after you fall asleep, you like wake up 20 minutes later and kind of move around and like everybody you does. Absolutely and do. I, Everyone does. I mean, I never do that because I've never had a sleep issue. So I go to bed and I didn't even realize I was waking up. But what I learned through this book I read was like, they have to get through that. Like they have to be able to wake up and then go, Oh, I'm okay. And go back to bed. And so like, it's this whole method of like teaching them to fall asleep awake and putting the, the, them in an environment to do that. And that was like, so mind blowing to me. I'm like, how did I make it through medical school? And I, no one taught me this. (laughs) You're so right. Sleep gets a short shrift in medical school. It does. It really does. So what do you tell that? Like, what's something that you tell a parent who's just like at the wits end? Cause that's where I was. Like I went to the pediatrician and I'm like, uh, I, I can't function. Yeah. So what I tell them is, um, if you're co-sleeping and everybody's happy and everyone's getting plenty of sleep and it's going well, and of course you're doing it safely, that goes without saying, right? If that's all fine, then, then you know, that's your choice. But if everyone's exhausted, as you describe, and the baby's waking up all the time and no one's getting quality sleep, it's really time to think about whether or not you're ready to teach your child to fall asleep independently. And honestly, it doesn't take very long, as I'm sure you learned, Babies learn it quite quickly, actually. Yep. Quite quickly. And then all of a sudden, everything's better. Mom is rested. The baby's now sleeping a ridiculously long time that will make your friends jealous, you know? Yeah. 11 hours or something. They're napping better, right? Yes. Because naps are the same story. If If your child needs back rubbing and, and, uh, lying with you at nap time, it's the same problem. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny because, um, something that, you know, my kids are older now, they're 16, 13, 11, and nine. And this is still happening in our household every weekend, every week, every, all the time on vacation breaks. Even when we go on vacation, this is what happens from one to three in any house, hotel, wherever we are, if we are together, everybody disappears to their rooms. 
And it's not even something that I have to say. It's just like become a habit. And I think that the, you know, as a physician mom who was super busy and then I would be up all night and come home and I would, I would just like play with my kids in the morning or want to be with my kids. But then I would be like, oh my gosh, I, they got to take a nap. They got to take a nap. So I would make everybody go to their rooms from like one to three, this magic hour and just either read, which most of the time they fell asleep or look at books or whatever, or play with their toys quietly. But everybody would normally fall asleep. And it's funny because what happens now, even like a Saturday, you know, we're all home, we're all doing our thing. Uh, between one to three, everybody's in their rooms. And it's not like I sound an alarm. I mean, they're older, but it's almost like they need that. They appreciate it. They've learned the value of it. Yeah. And, and sometimes they sleep. I mean, the teenagers, of course, they sleep now. But but it's funny because people will always say like, OK, well, my kid gets up every night. Like, that's great, Sasha. But your kids didn't get up and come down to your room like they did every now and then. And I would just make them I would walk them all the way back. But like, what do you say to the person who's like, well, they don't have a problem falling asleep, but they get up in the night multiple times? Yeah. So are you speaking of maybe a teenager? Yeah. Or you speak. Yeah. I think it's the same thing. So teenagers can do, they're, they're out of our sight really, but many times they might develop habits that again are not ideal. So they might fall asleep with their phone in their hand, mm -hmm. let's be honest, yep. right? And besides the blue light, which everyone is completely aware of, your phone is also a source of beeping and notifications. Um, you might have another 17-year-old who is your 17-year-old's friend who's awake at night, who's texting. Um, and even I say to parents now, remember that if you're allowing your child to sleep with their phone, your teen in the, you know, your teen to sleep with their phone in their room, you're letting cyber bullies right into their bedroom. Mm. If you think about it, mm. that's scary. You know, <laughs> it's really important. I think for parents to begin setting a family rule that phones charge in the kitchen, you know, all together at night and they're just out of the bedrooms entirely. You just avoid that whole slippery slope. So you just don't let electronics in the bedroom. No, because there's, you know, alarm clocks and things that work perfectly fine to to help kids fall asleep. And I'm a huge believer in reading lights and books. Yeah, it's funny because um, I actually... I, my falling, I have to read to go to sleep. Like I, even if it's like 30 seconds, it's so, it's so weird. I have to like, but I cannot fall asleep with like any television going or anything like that. And when my husband and I got married, he would always fall asleep to, with the television on. And I was like, uh, that's not happening. Like there is no possible way that I can fall asleep with the television. And so he quickly changed, but, but um, it's funny because like, it's a totally a habit. Like sleep is like a, it, it, it really is like something that you teach yourself how to do. It's so, a skill. So how has it changed for you with, with the advent of all these electronic devices? Like how has your job changed? It's, it's gotten much trickier to be honest with you. The thing that makes me the saddest is that a lot of teenagers now will tell me that they don't even enjoy reading anymore. Mm. Because I can't think of a better way to quiet down in the evening than what you just said, just reading a book for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. So I try to always put back into place the reading light, the book, 
and it can be a magazine. It could be one of those complicated coloring books. It could be um, word puzzles. It could be anything that the teenager enjoys. I love this. Um, I love this. So no scrolling. Let's like more reading. Exactly. It could be anything on paper that they like. Some kids love to draw. Some kids write plays. You know, I work with so many teenagers and every one of them can find something to do that they enjoy that's also relaxing so, and that is not screen related. So that's so interesting to me that you work with teenagers because I would think the majority of when I hear kids, I think like the majority of your sleep issues would be toddlers but or little kids. But you're actually working more with teenagers to help them. I work through the truly through the lifespan. So the best time to sleep train a baby is any time between four and six months. Six months is absolutely um, a very safe time to start because a baby doesn't have physiological need to eat during the night after that time. And their sleep is organized, right? Their sleep cycles are organized. And then toddlers, you know, they have their own set of challenges. So in preschool and elementary. So I wrote my book for that age of three to 10. And your book is, let's talk about your, let just oh, tell sure. everybody what is your book called so yeah. people can find it. Sure. So my book is called Become Your Child's Sleep Coach. And then the subtitle is The Bedtime Doctor's Five-Step Guide, ages 3 to 10. And I wrote it because if you go to any bookstore or look online, most books about sleep training have babies on the cover. And that is a great time to sleep train. But if you miss that window or need to sleep train again when you move the baby out of the crib, you know, they grow up and they turn into a toddler and then they want their own toddler bed then that's a that's a particularly difficult time to help them become an independent sleeper again because you you know why they can walk and talk so i wrote my book for that particular group the 3 to 10 year olds and that's a wonderful time also to build that pattern of reading themselves to sleep even a 3 year old can look at a picture book with a little soft light at the bedside after a great consistent bedtime routine I love that. That's so, that's really helpful. So it's not like it's too late. Like if you, if you're, you know, if your child is four years old and you're like, well, this is just, the, this is who he is now, or this is who she is. We can still make changes. Or if we're having problems with a child that's in puberty and, you know, on the device and now can't, has a, has a routine, it's, it's never too late to make changes. Never too late to learn how to be a better sleeper. I love it. Okay. So now I want to ask you a question about the, the, the working physician, or maybe you are in, um, you're a policewoman or a policeman or a fireman, or maybe you have a shift job where you work nights or something. Um, so I would love to hear what the, you know, physicians who work 24 hour shifts or longer overnight, what should we do to reset? Because I know for myself, like I, uh, it's, I, I may come home after being up for 24 hours and I may have this weird energy because I've been drinking coffee or whatever. And I'm like, I don't feel bad. I can do this. I'm going to suddenly clean out this closet and work on this book and do all this ridiculousness. And then at about like one thirty, two o'clock, I, I just become like a gremlin. It's like my body changes and I just can't stand anyone. I can't stand ever anything and I'm miserable, but then I can't go to bed because I won't be able to like sleep at night. <laughs> That's right. You, you've described it perfectly. So you've what should we do? Like, what do, what do we do? 
So that is honestly the trickiest sleep problem there is. Really? Shift work. It's the trickiest one to fix. The most useful thing to do is to try to sleep at similar hours as often as possible and then have any other sleep you achieve be more like a nap. So, for example, if at 1.30 in the afternoon, as you just described, you could take an hour nap and then go to bed that night at your regular time, okay, that would be a better choice. Okay, okay. So should you come home and take a nap in the morning first and then get up in the afternoon? Or basically you should nap and then reset and get back on your regular sleeping schedule? As much as you can. Imagine if you were going to travel to London, what you always, the advice you always hear would be when you land to try to make it through all the way to the bedtime of the place where you have arrived. Right. 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 And sometimes people can't do that, but they can take a little nap and then make it through to the bedtime of the place where they have arrived. Right. And there are four things that you can do that are what we call clock setters. Okay. And those those four things are light exposure, meals, activity, and then the one that you can sort of finesse is caffeine. Ah, gotcha. So, yeah. So if you can use those four things at a really appropriate time, then you can help yourself. So if you go to London, what do you do? You get off the plane in the morning, you do have a coffee, you walk around London, you get a lot of sunlight exposure, and you have your meals. And then your body begins to understand, oh, I see we're on a new schedule now. Gotcha. So, right. So for you, if you needed to stay up that day after being on call, you might use caffeine activity, sunlight exposure and food to stay up. And then you might taper those things away at the time when you were trying to go to sleep. Okay. This is really interesting. So, um, now can we talk about, cause I think there's going to be a lot of people who are listening that are like, what about sleep deficit? And can't I just make it up on the weekend? Um, and I can tell this, I, I hope people that are listening don't think I'm totally crazy. Well, maybe they will. But I remember a time where, well, there's been two episodes in my life where I was so tired. Um, I had been up for, you know, like 36 hours coming home from the hospital. So and, and interesting, both of these times I was in really high acute stress situations, like, um, you know, on, not like on a computer t- charting or something, but like doing really uh, traumatic things. And um, one time I was driving home and I just forgot where I was. I like pulled into my uh, neighborhood and I was on the side of the road and I don't know if I fell asleep, but I kind of woke up and I went, what am I doing? Like, why, how, what am I here? And I called my mom. Um, I'll never forget. I said, mom, you got to come over because I had little kids and I normally just hung out with them during the day on these days until they took a nap. Then I took a nap, but I knew that I was like, I couldn't even, I couldn't, I was impaired. And then another time I was driving home and I have to drive on a highway and I kid you not this, it, when I get chills and goosebumps when I even talk about it, because God was totally protecting me, but I was driving home and I stopped in the middle of the highway because I swear I saw a cow. <laughs> and 
there was no cow. I like woke up and I was like, wait a minute. I, I obviously I've been driving. I'm not sleeping. Where's the cow? And then I realized, and those are the two times that I called my mom and I said, mom, you got to come over. And she said, I will be there in like two seconds because I knew I couldn't care for my children. Um, what is happening in your brain? Yeah, this is exactly what's happening. That that's called REM, like rapid eye movement, which is also called dream sleep, right? That's called REM intrusion. So it means that you're so exhausted that you're actually dropping into a dream for a few seconds. Mm. And when you drop into a dream, anything's possible. Cows on highways are possible. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's scary. It was, it's funny it's now, but it scary. was actually terrifying to me at the time. It's, it's absolutely terrifying. And I work a lot, again, we talked about with teens who have narcolepsy and this narcolepsy is often undiagnosed yet. Mm. Right. So they'll come and they'll, they'll talk to me about their sleep symptoms and I'll ask them questions like, do you ever feel that your dreams are happening in the room live where you are? And Uh. some of them will, some of them will get teary because they literally thought they were losing their mind. Yeah. Yeah. And they, it's so hard to talk about and so weird. Yes, right? and, it is and weird. Odd. I mean, I've never admitted it. Now I'm just admitting it on the internet to every the whole world. But like both times that happened to me, I was like, can I do this job? What is wrong with me? Like, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. Thinking it was my fault. Can I remind you that sleep deprivation is how people torture other people, mm. right? It is a terrible thing, sleep deprivation. And it breaks you down. Yes, 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 yes. I'm so glad that we're talking about this because honestly, I think there's probably people listening that have experienced this and don't don't recognize that that's what it was. Yes, yes. And you doubt yourself and you shouldn't. Yeah, you totally doubt yourself. Um, so what should you do? Like what what is, if someone's listening and they're like, man, that happens to me every time I'm at the hospital for that long. Like what should they do? Well, medicine, let's be honest, needs to be a little better about that, you know, um, especially in terms of call. And there, there's a lot of research out there that medical schools could be taking advantage of and, you know, doing a better job of, of protecting their, their, you know, their doctors and training, for one. But the more often you can overlay the times that you sleep to be similar. So if you can always be sleeping as often as possible between, let's say, midnight and six or 3 a.m. and nine or whatever you can manage. Right. And that's very difficult. Don't think that I don't know that. It's very difficult. And then have your other sleep be more in naps. You'll actually be better off that way. Yeah. Number one. Number two, a really great thing for people to know that most people don't know is that your body begins making up for lost sleep the very next night. And here's how it does it. If you imagine that you get certain kinds of sleep through the night, you get light, I I just call it for the sake of simplicity, light sleep, medium sleep, deep sleep, and dream sleep. And on a typical night, you would get, if you were a perfect sleeper and you were, you know, sleeping regularly every night, you would get about 5% light sleep, about 50% medium sleep and about 20 to 25% deep sleep and 20 to 25% dream sleep. So let's say you had a bad night. The very next night, your body would borrow 
some of the light sleep that you would have gotten, and it would put it into the deep sleep and REM sleep category. Ah, interesting. Isn't that interesting? That's really interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, it'll sort of steal the lighter sleep away and put it where it needs it, which is the deep and dream sleep. So your body has begun making up for lost sleep long before the weekend. And if you sleep in on the weekend many hours later than you normally would, you're actually confusing your circadian clock in your brain about what your rise time is, which is actually harder on your body than keeping a really similar rise time. Gotcha all the time. That's cool. I did not know this. This is, you're teaching us a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Your body is an amazing thing. So the most you should ever sleep in, let's say we go back to talking about teenagers. Now we call it school plus two. So whatever their school rise time is, they would ideally not sleep in more than two more hours on the weekend. Okay. That makes sense. That's good to know. Cause I have some teens yeah. that are like, they yes. love to sleep. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> They're I'm like, okay, it's noon. You have to eat and drink something. <laughs> and again, if your teens are fine, don't worry about it. But I'm talking about the teens that are having a really tough time going to sleep on a Sunday night or right. really struggling to get to school, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, that's really good to know. You've given us so many good tips. So tell us if someone's listening and they're like, oh my goodness, I need to know more. I need to learn more of her teaching. How can people find the book? How can they find you? Sure. So the book is sold wherever books are sold. Amazon, of course, Barnes and Noble, those sorts of places. And then I also have a website and it's called thebedtimedoctor.com. Yep. Or my last name, just drschneeberg.com. Those will both take you to the same place. And then I always have tons of tips on Twitter. And then I'm just at Dr. Schneeberg, just D-R. And then my last name, Schneeberg, S-C-H-N-E-E-B-E-R-G. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see lots of sleep tips. And then I have the usual. I have a Facebook page, Dr. Linnell Schneeberg. And I even have just started a group on my Facebook page called the Become Your Child Sleep Coach Community. And that's for parents who really want some resources and some help and some community around helping their kids become better sleepers. Oh, I love this. This is such good information. Thank you for coming on the show and just giving us such great info and being such a good resource for so many people who I know are listening and needed this. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. If you're listening today, I hope that we gave you some tips um, on how to sleep better yourself, how to recover from some sleep deprivation, specifically if you're someone who struggles in medicine and has to work or you work in some type of shift work, but also just giving you hope that if you are raising children, there's always help out there at every age to become better speakers or sleepers, excuse me. And as always, live brave. This has been an HSG production. 